person, wrong place, just go to my website. It's hungtygirl.com, spelled like my name here on Twitch. You can click on the pictures there. They're actually free videos. I update them every week. They'll appear differently depending on whether you're on a laptop, PC, or a mobile phone. I recommend a laptop or PC because you'll get more free videos that way. But all three have videos. Just click on the blue charms that say um, video or um, any of the pictures and you'll see the videos there. You can see that side of me. You can also check out what we do here at this side of me to give you more a more complete look at a transgender person as a whole beyond just the physical, beyond the sexual. You can um, click on the Naked Truth links there or the Living Water Chapel pages there and see what we do here which is actually go over the Gospels of Jesus Christ chapter by chapter and verse by verse, focusing um, mainly on the red letters because those are attributed to Jesus. Those are quotes by Christ. And if you're a Christian, of course, uh, Christ should get the last word on any subject. That's why we focus on the red letters of Christianity. So if you like, you can grab your Bible and pick it up and read along with me or just listen and either way, be blessed. We're going to pick up where we left off at John, uh, Matthew um, chapter 5. Now, we went over chapter 4, and like I, just, like I said in a previous video, we already went over chapter 5 also, but there were shenanigans with its being produced and tampered with. Who, why, how, I don't know. But I feel compelled to do it again and read it to you, um, share it with you, just in case you may be able to find some truth in it, and just in case someone is intentionally trying to keep the truth from you. So we'll pick up with Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. And it reads And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, So you have Jesus on a mountain preaching to multitudes, not just the um, 12 disciples. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Um, so a poor, by poor in spirit, I think Jesus means here the depressed, those who are down. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Um, similarly, it's those with a broken spirit, those who are um, feeling low, basically. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Meek meaning humble. Blessed are the humble, so not prideful, but humble. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Um, same thing, the hunger and thirst is for righteousness because you look around and you don't see very much of it. So he's saying here, if you're poor in spirit, if you're down, if you're out, if you're uh, low, that's the moment where a lot of people end up finding Jesus, where a lot of people end up finding religion, even if it's not Jesus. And in many ways, sometimes even if it's bad religion, it at least points you in the direction of seeking God so that you can find the right path. But it's that search, it's that hunger that leads people to Christ. And Jesus is saying here, if you fall into one of these groups um, and are thirsty for righteousness, he'll be sure that you find it. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. That kind of goes without saying. If you want people to go easy on you, you should go easy on people. Because we reap what we sow, basically. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So when he says the pure in heart, the only ones I could think of there would be would apply to uh, babies, infants, stillborns, uh, miscarriages, that sort of thing, even abortions. Those children, those babies are pretty much the only ones that are pure in heart. But also mentally disabled people or developmentally disabled people. 
they also could be considered pure in heart because even though they do things that other people would be in trouble for or get, you know, um, be looked down upon for, uh, they get a pass because they really don't understand the right and wrong or, you know, they really don't understand their development is stunted. So I think Jesus is letting us know here that in those cases, the pure in heart also are considered um, close to God. In fact, they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they should be called sons of God. So the thing to notice there is obviously um, what Jesus is saying, what's godly is seeking peace. And uh, unfortunately, this country, even though we can't find money to feed the poor, can't find money to make sure everyone has health care, they aren't interested in even finding money to make sure everyone can find uh, have a, access to a coronavirus uh, vaccine should they come up with one you can see now they're not planning to give that away for free and they may end up doing that like they give children vaccinations for school for free but i don't think that's how it's going to happen they're in fact they're setting it up so it won't happen that way so there'll be another commodity that's sold and if you can't afford it then you're just not going to get it um i could be wrong it may not go that way at all but that's how it's looking but um uh, there's always money every single year, every single budget to keep putting into war, to keep making the military industrial complex more enriched, no matter how much the people are suffering. Um, but Jesus is saying just the opposite is what God's looking for. He's saying it's the peacemakers who will be called sons of God, not warmongers. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake for theirs is the kingdom of heaven and he's pointing to there not just the martyrs over the millennia who have been killed for um their testimony uh, to jesus christ like for instance the disciples pretty much 11 out of 12 of them 10 out of 12 were killed uh one judas um says he committed suicide and just one john made it through all of that so not but not just them not just the disciples but also anyone else persecuted for sake, for the sake of just trying to carry the message forward, the gospel that is. Um, so this whole set of uh, blessed are those. These are called the beatitudes, just in case you don't know. And it's basically it's just saying godly blessings on people who do this, and it's these different sets of people. Basically, the humble. That's who um, God is looking for, and who will actually be considered close to God, according to Jesus. Blessed are you when they revile you and when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. So that would be those who are falsely accused of things, but not just things in general, but falsely accused of things for the sake of Christ. And many um, GLBT people under the umbrella can certainly relate to this because just because you happen to be gay, lesbian, bi, trans, under that umbrella or even a friend or ally of such you're oftentimes considered sinful damned hopeless that sort of thing so jesus is saying here um if you're persecuted because of your christian faith even if you have especially i would think if you happen to be under the umbrella of lgbt then you can certainly relate to that people assume that because you're under that umbrella then you're damned to hell and they're wrong. Jesus even goes into that message um, in Luke 17, 34, um, just for instance. But he's letting you know if people do that to you, don't uh, don't take it to heart. It's um, it's he's telling us it's going to happen before it even happens. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad 
For great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So he's saying when people do treat you like that, when people do exclude you because they think you're evil, whether it's because you're LGBT or whatever the reason, if you also, if it happens to be because they think you're not, um, it relates to your Christianity, then don't worry about it. Rejoice actually because your reward won't be here, but it'll be in heaven. So it's, let it be a comfort to you. I'd say that even though you may be alone here, you're not really alone. Um, you are the salt of the earth. If the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. So I think what Jesus is saying there is there has to be something different about you that sets you apart from the rest of the world. He's calling here salt, meaning just like salt adds flavor to a dish of food, makes it delicious, makes it palatable, makes it something people will want. You have to do the same thing with your um, Christian walk. Something about you has to be different than the rest of the world's ways so that people will see it in you and notice it in you. And in, even if it's a small way, seek God through you. You have We have to be lights, lamps, um, letting uh, our godliness show. Even if other people will deny it, like you just said, um, be blessed if, that ha if that's the case. But for those who don't, automatically condemn you thinking oh you're like this so you can't be christian for those who actually see you and are drawn to god jesus is saying blessed to you for that for you are the light of the world you are the light of the world a city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden so similarly just like um if you think um you could see some cities from space because there's light shining there similarly jesus is saying that our light should shine just as brightly and it should shine to show people the way to uh, Christ. Not necessarily to us, but to us, through us, since we're one with Christ, that that's what we have to make sure we do. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. So Jesus is saying, similarly, just like you turn on a light, you don't turn on a light so that you can stumble around in the dark and don't know where you're going. You turn on the light so that you can see where you're going. And that similarly, your light, if you have that light in you, if you believe, then you should let it show. It should show in your words, in your uh, thoughts, even in your, especially in your actions toward each other. Since loving God is the first rule, and the second part of the golden rule is to love your neighbor as yourself. If you're not practicing those things, then your light's not shining. People aren't going to notice that you're any different than anyone else in the world in how you correspond with each other because you're not letting your light shine that's like like i said before it'd be like turning the flashlight on your phone or a flashlight on itself and then rather than using it to get around in the dark dropping it in a drawer or putting it under a bed it doesn't do any good that way it only does good if you use it similarly your light the light that's in you from being christian only does good if you use it if you let it show so that people can see it otherwise you're hiding it and what's the point uh, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So that's the whole point of letting your light shine. It's not so that people can be like, oh, you're so holy. Not at all. It's so that people can see the godliness in you and be drawn to the Lord. And I think that's what Jesus is really saying, that you have to have that salt in yourselves. You have to have that light in yourselves. Something about you, the light in you should set you apart from everyone else who's walking in the world in a world of darkness. 
Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. So when he's saying the law and the prophets here, he's pointing to the Old Testament. The law would be the Old Testament prophets like Zechariah, Micah, Jeremiah. All those are the Old Testament prophets. And a prophet basically is someone who predicts something that's going to happen. But it's more than a prediction. They've actually seen it and it's been revealed to them in some way. So they know it's going to happen. A prediction is more like... Uh, an educated guess or like a hypothesis of what you think is going to happen based on different things. Um, so I guess like I, the, the a prediction would be like uh, the flooding that recently happened in Michigan where the dams broke and swept an entire lake away that's been there for God knows how long. And people probably thought, oh, it'll always be there. Things will always be like that. That lets you know nothing is always like that. The only one thing that's sure and constant in life is change. Everything changes. You don't remain the same way you were born. You change over time. So that lake being swept away and then sweeping away an entire town and doing damage to lots of other areas is just one example of that. Um, and so a a prediction would be that those people there who own lakeside property are probably going to be very, very upset um, because the insurance companies are almost certainly going to drop them because it's they'll consider it flood damage, even though the houses weren't damaged from it, the ones that were on the lake. Um, so that would be like a prediction or but a, it would be considered a prophecy if, say, like I had a if I had a vision and saw it or if I dreamt it and it and then it comes to pass. That's more like what a prophecy is. But they're both, both very similar. Prophecy, a prediction. But a prediction, I think a prophecy is considered more certain than a prediction is. And it's certainly a prophecy when it actually comes to pass, when it actually happens. So um, that would just be an example of it. For surely I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. So when he talks about, that was what he was saying with the prophets. Those are the Old Testament prophets that sort of warned the people of the Old Testament, the Israelites, of the different things that were going to come to pass, trying to get them to change their ways many times one way or other, or just to guide them in many cases. Um, but when he's talking about the law, he's pointing to basically the Ten Commandments. Those are the um, laws that Jesus went over and affirmed the, the Ten Commandments as what we should follow. So he's pointing to the law and he's pointing to the prophets both Old Testament structures that you can read about if you want to. Um, but Jesus is saying neither one of those are going to pass away till everything is fulfilled. Um, and that he didn't come to change even one jot or one tittle. That basically be like the dot on the top of an I or a J or the slash through a T that makes it a T or the little uh, a tilde like over an N when you're speaking Espanol, the little sign over that. He didn't come to change even the smallest thing. So uh, one thing that, contradict, that contradicts that in the Bible is what I believe to be a false teaching of Paul's. If you read on, he'll say that Jesus became our Sabbath and all of that. Jesus never said that. And that, um, that um, he replaced these blood sacrifices. He never said that either. In fact, only one, one example of him telling some. there's an example of him telling someone to go make an offering when he did a healing. He told someone to go make the offering as the priests would expect it as a witness to them. So it may be in the Bible, but if Jesus didn't teach it, then I say, why are you following it? If you're a Christian, whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great 
in the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus is saying there that if you don't follow these other Ten Commandments, uh, or you know you don't believe the prophecies of the the prophets in the Old Testament, that's fine. It won't keep you out of heaven. You'll still make it heaven, but you'll be called least in the kingdom of heaven. So that's not really what you want to aim for. Not that you should be trying to be exalted in heaven, but you should be trying. We should be trying to do all we can to be pleasing in God's eyes, regardless of how what people may think of us. And I know that's not easy all the time. Um, for I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus is saying there, the scribes and Pharisees are constantly following him around. If you could read it, we've read about it. And they're constantly looking for uh, instances where he may be breaking some law of the Old Testament. And Jesus is saying, you've got to do more than that. You've got to do more than just go around uh, fault-finding, um, Bible-thumping, basically. You actually have to have some works that follow it up. You can't just uh, go around saying how holy you are and thinking that's enough. It's That's just like Christian in name only. That's no good. You actually have to have works that exceed those of the scribes and Pharisees, which are the people who tormented Jesus left and right and even led to his crucifixion, though it was foreseen. Um, so like I said, the whole lake disappearing and the insurance companies dropping those people because it's not lakefront property anymore and because it's flood damage. And not only that, that would be like a prediction of prophecy. If those people, because a lot of people have are overextended with debt, so a lot of people have home equity loans, home equity lines of credit, that sort of thing. And if your house is lakefront, you probably had a much higher line of credit because it was much, much more valuable. But now that that lake is entirely gone, then most likely those property values are going to drop really, really low. And a lot of people are going to find themselves upside down in their mortgages, in their home, in their finances. And I don't think the banks are going to care. So you're probably going to see a wave of people being... Um, pretty ticked off at that too. So that would be more like a prediction. And then if it comes to pass, it'd be like a prophecy, but it's not really a prophecy. It's looking at what's happening, guessing, and that's what's, what they're probably going to do because that's how America is. But a prophecy would be if I actually saw a vision or heard a voice or knew that that's what's going to happen. And then it happened. But Jesus is saying either way that uh, the prophets aren't going to pass away because many of them pointed to Jesus, even though they're like small glimpses of it. Um, but also the law, the Ten Commandments, aren't going to pass away. So basically, he expects you to keep those also um, and still exceed what the people who consider themselves to be holier than thou are doing. You've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. Excuse me. <clears throat> so you shall not murder is one of the Ten Commandments. And Jesus is saying here, and this is what a thing that Jesus did, does often. He isn't necessarily affirming the different things that are written in the Old Testament. Rather, he's pointing to them because he knows that's what the people are familiar with. And that that's what a lot of people are trying to live by and what they consider to be truth. So he's letting them know, yeah, I know that it says that in the Old Testament, even though they didn't call it the Old Testament, because that wasn't even compiled until a thousand plus years later, like 1611. So he, it wasn't the Old Testament to them. It wasn't called that, but that's what he's pointing to. And he's in the in there, in the Ten Commandments, it says, thou shalt not kill, or here it says, thou shalt not murder. And um, but, but Jesus is saying, this is what sets Christians apart. 
But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. So Jesus is setting the bar much, much higher for people who are going to call themselves Christians and follow his beliefs. So if you're going by the Old Testament, um, the basics of it is you shall not murder. So taking a life that's forbidden. And so that you don't get it confused, some preachers will teach um, that people who kill people during war or people who kill people during um, um, carrying out the death penalty, that that's not actually murder, that that's not actually killing, that that's, um, that that's perfectly fine. That's not what God says. And, and proof of that is if you look in the Old Testament from what they call the first murder, they'll call the first murderer and first murderer Cain in Genesis. But if he's the first murderer, if you're going to accept that as the first murder, um, then you have to also accept what, G, what God, how God responded to that. He forbade them um, carrying out a death penalty against Cain. You could read about it yourself. I think it's Genesis chapter 3. Because Cain was afraid that people would take uh, revenge or vengeance on the fact that he killed his brother. And God forbade that and said, no, they don't, won't do that. And if you do do that, wrath will come upon you. And yet people in the United States and throughout the world call themselves Christians, but still carry out the death penalty and don't think that it's murder. It's murder. It's murder just as much as that officer leaning his knee on the neck of an unarmed person who's not even a threat to him is murder while the other three stand around. It's murder. And don't expect there to be justice. That's how come people are rioting in the streets because you can see that they don't intend to pass on any proper true justice for the victim because if anyone else were caught on video doing that, it wouldn't be third degree murder charges. It would be first degree murder charges and it would be instant. It wouldn't have to take an uproar of the people to get it to happen. And not only that, the three people standing by who watched it and aided it, some of them with their knees on his back and on his body also, while he died, would also be instantly facing charges. It wouldn't be any of this, oh, we need to further investigate. Like they always say when it's one of the officers who is the murderer rather than the victim. And this is not a statement against officers. Some of my close friends and uh, are, have been officers. Some of the best bottoms I've had have been officers. So this isn't a statement against them. It's a statement against the corrupt ones that supposedly are there, took an oath even, swore to uphold the law and protect and serve. But then when it's someone they know looks the other way and will even lie on a police report. Not saying that that's what happened with the most recent victim of um, that injustice. Um, but the video shows it and you don't need much of an investigation when you have the video right there to prove it. And like I said, if it were the other way around, if it were the officer with the knee on his neck until he died, there'd be no delay in arresting and charging and convicting whoever did it. Um, but you can see there's a double standard in this country and not only that, but it's, it's shameful that uh, occupation that's held in high esteem, honored left and right all from coast to coast, even paid for their duty and even given pensions and a retirement and held in very high esteem with honors and everything, isn't also held to a very much higher standard when it comes to reacting to people uh, when they get emotional and, you, and um, treat 
treating people the same way, treating people fairly. And truly, that hasn't been done. You could see that in the protests with the people wanting to reopen the government in Michigan. They were treated with kid gloves. So it's not a matter of retraining the officers. The officers know exactly how to stay calm and cool when it's white people protesting against them. And they had guns. And they were in the officers' faces, disrespecting them, cussing them out, no masks on with coronavirus going around, breathing this close to them. The officers stay perfectly calm and cool. Some of them even smiled while it was all going on. No heads busted, no knuckles, sandwiches for anyone. Everything was just fine. But when the people protesting aren't white, you see there's a totally different response to what happens. And um, you see that that's just how it is in America and that it's not just. And if you deny that, then it's you might want to consider your own heart how fair you actually are. Therefore, if you bring your gift, Oh, another thing Jesus says here about Raqqa. Sorry, I got off track there. It's just crazy how this just keeps happening. So when he says Raqqa, he's saying, uh, from what I understand about researching the word, he's saying worthless. If you tell someone they're worthless or hopeless. And that goes back to what he said in the Beatitudes about if people persecute you or exclude you uh, thinking uh, because of Christianity, thinking, oh, you're hopeless, you're, you're gay, so you're going to hell, that sort of thing. That's what that falls under. And the same thing with you fool, um, that that puts you in real danger of hellfire is what he's saying there. So basically, again, you have to love your neighbor as yourself. Justice, mercy, and faith are the things that Jesus requires of you. And to be more righteous than the people who consider themselves uh, self-righteous and holy. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, so Jesus here is drawing again, drawing the line, raising the bar for people who are going to call themselves Christians. You, the bar isn't "Thou shalt not kill," "Thou shalt not murder." That's not the bar. The bar is if you're even angry with your brother without a cause, then that's just as dangerous to Jesus in Jesus's eyes as murdering them, because um, that's not a fair spirit. I think that's the root of what he's saying there. That um, uh, that that's how come that's the line. That's the standard for Christians. Um, and he's saying there that that's the number one thing also. So if you have an offering to make to God, if you want to pay your tithes, if you want to make a financial offer, if you want to do something that you consider pious and dedicated to God, that's wonderful. That's good. You should still do that. But he's saying before you do that, go ahead and reconcile with your brother first, that that's more important. And not even more important. That's more of a priority. And I think it's more of a priority because... You're trying to say you're dedicated and faithful to a God that you can't see, but you disregard, mistreat, and abuse your brother, your fellow man that you can see. So it, it doesn't bear out. If you're really going to love the Lord who you can't see, then it starts by showing love for your fellow man who you can see. Uh, so he's saying make sure that's right first. Make sure your heart is right with your brother before you uh, make your offering to God. Um that's what he's saying there. That's what I believe he's saying there. I agree with your adversary quickly while you're on the way with him, lest your adversary deliver you to the judge, the judge hand you over to the officer, and you're thrown in the prison. So here Jesus is saying uh, about settling things as far as if you're involved in a lawsuit, at least that's what I'm getting from it, that if you're involved in a lawsuit and someone's suing you, taking you to court, the number one thing Jesus is saying is to settle with them. And then uh, this is practiced all the time, whether people um, 
consider themselves Christian or godly or faithful or religious or not. If you look at the statistics in the United States, most cases are settled out of court. Most very few go to trial, um, whether it's criminal or um, or um, civil trials. Very few actually go to trial. Most cases are settled out of court. And Jesus is saying here, that's what you should do. Basically, seek peace. Settle the matter so that you can move on. Don't let things fester. Um, assuredly, I say to you, you will by no means get out of there till you've paid the last penny. So I think this is referring to if you're the defendant in a case particularly, but maybe even if you're the plaintiff, he's going to um, go further with it as we read. But if you're if you're in the wrong, if you're the one that's in the wrong, you're being sued, do everything you can along the way to settle the case, to make sure it's done. Because if you don't, you could pay a much higher price if it goes all the way to trial. Similarly, with um, criminal cases, the same thing. If you know that you did wrong, if you know you were caught red-handed, for instance, um, then don't try to fight it. Don't try to hide it. Admit that you did wrong and settle it. Get it out of the way. Settle it. Make peace with your brother, I think is what Jesus is saying here. And that's... Um, that's across the board. Some people will say that this is only refers to the elect or to those who are trying to carry the message for it. I think this is the rule that he's saying for anyone, if you're going to call yourself Christian. Um, and if you want to save your livelihood, it doesn't make sense, especially if you know you're wrong, to um, keep dragging something out. Admit you're wrong, face the music, and move on. Don't just keep fighting it when you know you're in the wrong. You've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. So again, Jesus is uh, not necessarily affirming an Old Testament thing here, but instead he's pointing it to pointing it out to them because he knows it's something they're familiar with. And it is one of the Ten Commandments about not committing adultery. So that's where the line is as far as the Old Testament. But Jesus is going to give us the bar for us if we're going to call ourselves Christian. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So Jesus is saying the bar is much, much higher if you're going to call yourself a Christian, that the adultery begins even in the heart just by looking at someone and lusting for them. And let me correct, I said someone, but in fact, you have to follow what Jesus said. He says to look at a woman. So this limits it to the, um, this limits the command. He, he could have said man or woman if he wanted to or anything else in between if he wanted to. He specifically said if you look at a woman in lust for her. So I escaped that because there are some transgender people who are into women. I'm not one of them. but um, So that kind of clears me on that. But in general, this points to um, straight men generally. And also, um, I suppose, lesbian women who are married to other women. Um, but he's saying if you look at another woman and you're married and you're lusting for them, then you've already committed the adultery in your heart. And I think the sense of that is because you took vows to generally the vows say forsaking all others and till death do you part. So no one forces you in general. There are forced marriages, obviously, and uh, throughout the world. But in the sense of if you had a choice to get married and if you voluntarily made those vows, Jesus is saying here, if you're lusting for other women, women specifically, uh, while you're married, then um, you've already broken those vows. You've already committed adultery. And the redeeming part of that is that's not unforgivable. It's not the unforgivable sin. So don't look at it that way, but look at it realistically like he's saying. If you're a Christian and he's 
telling you directly that that's what is considered adultery if you're a Christian, not just having the sex, but even lusting for someone, then you've already done it in your heart. And one other thing to think about that is some people will try and make this a blanket statement to say, well, then if you commit, if you thought about lying, then you've already lied. Or if you thought about killing someone, then you've already killed them. You can't do that. That's not what it says. He's specifically pointing to adultery as the uh, sin here. You already covered what um, are grounds for um, murder. He said already that it's it's even worse than murder if you're angry with your brother without a cause. So that's the bar for Christian. So similarly, the bar for Christians is even lusting for other women uh, while you're married is um, adultery. So also on the other side of that is you should take solace in this, that if you're lusting for transgender people, then and you sort of get a pass there also because uh, I'm not female, but... Um, I'm not a woman and I'm not male. I'm not a man. So you kind of get a pass if your interest is in transgender people because you're actually not lusting for a woman. You're lusting for a male that just happens to look like a woman. So I know it's against what people may believe, but it's what Jesus says right there that it's if you're looking at a woman to lust after her. So you may cut yourself some slack if you find yourself interested in transgender people because um, it's actually not sinful. It's more, it's sinful if you're looking at other women and you're married and um, you're breaking your vow that way and committing adultery in that sense. Um, and if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. So Jesus is pointing here now saying that if you just can't control yourself, it'd be better to go ahead and take your eye out than to um, than to have made those vows and keep breaking them um, if you just can't control yourself. Most people would um, do what they can to curb that craving, that behavior before they have to take their eye out. Um, but Jesus is saying if it comes down to you losing your eye or losing your soul, lose the eye. Um, uh, of course, it may... It, the thing that would stands out would be if you really can't control yourself like that, don't get married in the first place. Then you don't have to worry about the adultery at all. But if you do get married and you do keep lusting for other people, you do keep, can't, you have that wandering eye, then Jesus is letting you know. And specifically for women, not for trannies, not for other men, but if you have that wandering eye for one, for other women and you're lusting for them while you have a wife and that's whether you're man or woman, but if you have that, um, if you're married and you're lusting for other women, then that's adultery. And Jesus is saying that's the bar. And again, it's not that it's not forgivable, not un, not that it's unforgivable, uh, but that it is sin. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. So similarly, if you just find yourself to be a kleptomaniac, not the clinical definition of it, because that's sickness. But if you're someone who just likes to steal, um, then it'd be better for you, because one of the commandments is thou shalt not steal. If you just can't control yourself from stealing, it'd be better for you to go ahead and cut your hand off than to lose your soul because of it. And similarly, uh, some preachers will preach that Jesus doesn't actually mean 
cut off your hand or pluck out your eye, um, that he's talking about the body of Christ. One, that's not what he said. And two, if he was talking about the body of Christ, it wouldn't be for us to pluck it off or for us to cut it off. It'd be for Christ to cut it off since it's his body. So that lets you know right there that those preachers that tell you that are lying to you or in a nicer sense, maybe they're just mistaken or misinterpreting it because it's not what he says. And what he's saying here, I believe, and they'll tell you that he wouldn't tell you to do those things because God would never tell you to injure your body. And that's a total lie also, because you can read in the Old Testament where the whole order for circumcision for all of the Israelites was given. And for also anyone who sojourned with them, say the African people who followed them out of Egypt when they were freed from slavery. Um, so Jesus, uh, God gave them the order to circumcise your body. So God wouldn't have you if God wants, if God wouldn't have you do anything like that, then why would he tell you to alter your body the way you were born um, in that um, circumcision command? And that's if you're trying to follow the Old Testament. And um, just as an example that, yes, God does tell you to do things. God doesn't expect you to stay exactly how you were born. Um, and that'd be foolish to think that you would. And that goes to people who are also transgender, people who persecute transgender people. For making alterations like even though we all have breasts male or female we're all born with breasts um so that's not really that shouldn't be an issue either but if you change any part of your body um people will say oh well that's not how you were born you're not presenting yourself how you were born you weren't born with braces you weren't born with a pacemaker you weren't, weren't born with glasses you weren't born with all kinds of things but that doesn't stop you from using them to make your life easier or to make your expression of yourself easier. So don't let people condemn you for making alterations to how your body is to match how you feel or how you are on the inside either. Because here, just like castra castration, circumcision is given as a command, an alteration to the body you were born with. Jesus is saying here also, if you just can't control your sin, then go ahead and do something about it. Hopefully you have the sense enough to stop the stealing or stop the adultery, stop the wandering eye before it comes to that. But if you just can't control yourself, Jesus is saying that's what you should do because your soul salvation is more important than um, having your whole body. And hopefully, again, you get to the point where you can do it before you get to that point. Furthermore, it has been said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. So the thing about this is if um, there are many religions um, that follow the Old Testament and other religions that um, even now that don't allow the woman to get a divorce at all. It's up to the man to get the divorce. And so Jesus is pointing here to, again, that that's what's written in the Old Testament. That's what people try to live by who are going by the Old Testament, that um, if you want a divorce, get a certificate of divorce and dismiss the woman. Um, but Jesus is going to, again, set the bar higher for us if you're going to call yourself a Christian. But I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason, except for sexual immorality. But I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason, except sexual immorality, causes her to commit adultery. Whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. So I think what Jesus is saying there is that um, the bar is set again. It's set higher for us if we're going to call ourselves Christian. That um, if you're going to get a divorce, there is an acceptable grounds for it. And he's saying the acceptable grounds are sexual immorality. And again, that's not necessarily adultery. It's sexual immorality. If he wanted to say adultery, he could have said adultery just like he did in the previous 
verses, he's not saying adultery. He's saying sexual immorality. And the difference is that, especially nowadays, there are many marriages that are open marriages, and they don't consider it adultery at all if they uh, choose other people to join themselves in a bedroom or in their relationship or um, yeah, or just for the physical acts. They don't consider it adultery in their marriage because they uh, agreed to it. So it's if you wanted to say adultery, he would have said adultery. He didn't say that. He said sexual immorality. And there's that the difference is when you say like if you're married and you are doing those things behind your partner's back. There's an answer to that. Just share your desires with your partner, preferably before you even get married. But if you don't realize it until after marry, after you're married, you took vows to be one till death do you part. So why would you hide that part of yourself from your partner if you truly believed in your heart that the person you marry is there for you to the end and truly loves you for who you are? Then you would share it with them. And if they truly are loving you for who you are, they'll accept it and deal with it with you. Um, well, whether they accept it or not, they'll deal with it with you if they've taken those vows to be together to the end, till death do you part. So Jesus isn't just pointing to adultery here. He's saying sexual immorality. And that goes beyond just the physical uh, sexual acts. That also goes to it be being sexually immoral for a man who's stronger than their wife or woman to uh, use that power over her abusively physically. That's sexually immoral because you have the sexual upper hand by your um, being male over her. And it's not always that way. There are men who are abused also by women or even by other men in relationships, in marriages even. So that's sexually immoral. But it's also sexually immoral for one partner in the marriage to alienate the other of affection and lead to divorce. That's also sexually immoral because that's not what the people signed up, what you signed up for. So Jesus is pointing to much more than just adultery. I think he's pointing to um, using that sexual imbalance, whether it's gender, whether it's your um, sex as far as gender or if it's sex as far as the act, using that in an immoral way in a marriage is grounds for that divorce. And he's saying, but if you don't get divorced because of those reasons, then it is adultery. And I think he's saying it's adultery because that's not what you promised to do for one. And, um, uh, for two, if you get married again, then you're committing adultery against the person you've married to. You're remarrying because you took vows before your family, God and everybody, or even just before a justice of the peace and each other that you're going to be together to, to the end, till death do you part. So anything short of that is adultery. Um, but again, it's forgivable. It's not like it's unforgivable. It's totally forgivable. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. So this again goes with the whole marriage vow thing, I believe, but in but even promises and oaths in general, that you're not supposed to do that either. Again, these are things that are supposed to set you apart from anyone else in the world and from people who call themselves Christians, but don't actually follow Christ's teachings. Jesus is saying um, about making oaths, say like swearing to get to be together till death do you part. He's saying, don't do it. But he first he's pointing to the Old Testament about making oaths. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne. So he's saying, don't swear at all. Not to me, that includes swearing to stay married till death do you part. If you're a Christian, you're not supposed to swear at all. You're not supposed to make those promises. 
Primarily, I believe, because you don't know what a day is going to bring. You don't know the way you feel today and delighted and overjoyed about the relationship you're in now today can change just like that. And tomorrow you could be sick of the person and tired of the person, not wanting to see the person's face or hear the person's voice. It happens in more than half the marriages in the United States, maybe even in the world. So for sure in the United States, I think the divorce rate is like 52 percent now uh, for the first marriage. And then it goes up to something like 70% of failure rate for the second marriage and even higher and higher if you continue to make those vows to different people and not keep them. Whether it's you breaking them or them breaking them, the statistics speak for themselves. Once you make the vow and keep making it to other people and breaking it, then the odds just go up and up and up for it failing. Um, that's not to say it's universally that way. Some marriages do last, but in general... They don't. Uh, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city, the great king. So Jesus is saying, don't swear by any of these things. Uh, like People like to say, oh, they swear on their mother's grave or something like that. Don't swear by any of those things. Don't swear at all. Don't make promises at all. Because, because you don't know if you're going to be able to fulfill them or keep them. Um nor shall you swear by your head because you cannot make one hair white or black. And this is even true now. You can, um, and he's talking about as far as, I believe he's talking about, obviously, um, um, if you want to think about how they have uh, designer babies or working on making designer babies where you want your baby to be born, say, blonde and blue or red with green eyes or light skin with curly brown hair. You, um, they're working on being able to do all that and maybe even able to accomplish that someday. But um, you won't be able to, it'd be pretty impossible to make just one hair white or black. You can't do that yourself. We can't make our own hair, uh, one single hair, grow white or grow black on our own. We can color it those ways, but it's not going to grow that way. And even if you, um, uh, even if it does grow that way, we don't have any control over that single hair, like he says, making one hair white or black. You really have to focus on exactly what Jesus says and not put words in his mouth. Um, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, for whatever is more than these is from the evil one. And so, again, Jesus is saying, don't make promises, don't make oaths, don't swear to anything. Just say yes or just say no. Just agree to do something or say no, you're not going to do something and let that be that. But adding all the rest of it is evil. It comes from the evil one. It's it's evil to make oaths and to swear. Excuse me, and to make promises. And I mentioned this before. This is why when I've done jury duty, I will let them know I I don't believe in uh, making promises or swearing oaths or anything like that. Or when you're sworn in before you're giving testimony. You, um, they let you now affirm that you'll tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, rather than swear to it. Because even the courts recognize everyone isn't. Um, some people have beliefs that keep them from making oaths. So that's just something else to consider. If you're a Christian and you end up in court at some point, um, even that swearing is forbidden. You're not supposed to swear, much less swear to stay with someone till death do you part. 
So I would say the lesson in that is if you're going to get married is make sure the terms are very clear and very honest and something you can live with. And remember that it's a business arrangement and that that's how it started out even in the Bible. Again, how it was permitted for the man to get divorced, not the woman. Um, it was a business transaction and, and crazy as it's However you want to take it, the woman was property. If you look at it in the Old Testament, that's how come she would be passed on to um, a brother of the the husband if he dies and she becomes a widow. If he had a brother, she'd be passed on to him like property. Um, you can read about it yourself. It's throughout the Bible. But Jesus is saying, if you're a Christian, then just say yes or just say no and leave it at that. Save all the promises. Save all the swearing. Save all the oaths. You've heard that it was said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. So again, Jesus is pointing to the Old Testament standard of what's considered right and wrong, that if someone hurts you, it's okay to hurt them back. He's saying that's what you've been taught. That's what you go by in the Old Testament. But I tell you not to resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. So again, Jesus is setting a high bar for us if we're calling ourselves Christian, that we don't react the same way the rest of the world reacts to when we're hurt. So, like, if, um, again, if officers call themselves Christian soldiers, then um, you see, like, there's a video in Baltimore where one officer was slapped two times by a woman who was acting crazed during the recent protests and rioting. And that officer himself reacted like a Christian. He didn't slap her back, but instead another officer turned and punched the woman and knocked her out. So um, that's not turning the other cheek. That's not a Christian soldier. That's acting just like the rest of the world would act if someone hit you. So you just in that video, you have an excellent example of what's Christian behavior. And I don't know whether the officer who got slapped um, didn't slap her back or attack her back because he's a Christian or because he could tell that she was crazed or because, or whatever the reason. But I do see he didn't do it. He turned the other cheek and she slapped that one too. And I think the lesson in that is if you turn the other cheek, and someone still abuses you, don't worry, because even then, he didn't react to it, but the other officer came up and punched the woman. So maybe similarly in life, when people attack us in one direction, turn the other cheek, they attack you again, don't worry, God's got you, and we'll repay, because we all reap what we sow. And that's not to say that the officer was right in punching the woman um, and knocking her out. He absolutely wasn't, because like I said before, Officers are held in high esteem and given great honors and uh, good pay and all sorts of benefits and accolades for doing their job. So similarly, they're doing a job and trained to, supposedly to react better than any common person would react when they're attacked or assaulted. Or um, like, like I said, the people in Michigan, they had no problem staying calm there when the people attacking them and assailing them and in their face with guns, um, they had no problem staying calm at all. There were no heads busted, no knuckle sandwiches, none of that. So it's not a matter of training the officers. It's a matter of punishment. You have to make the punishments real for um, just like they get higher rewards because they're in that position. Their punishments should be much higher when they break that trust that they've been given uh, to the community, not just the same as anyone else would see, much less just losing their jobs. That's outrageous. And that's why people are upset. Anyone else in that position would do a, would have a lot more facing them than just losing their jobs. And that's the root of what's going on with the protests. 
Um, so Jesus is saying, but I tell you not to resist. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. So Jesus is saying there, if someone is, um, again, if someone's taking you to court and trying to sue you, then again, settle. And I think in this case, he's saying um, this would be for uh, maybe for the plaintiff, not just the defendant. Um, and whoever compels you to go um, one mile, go with him too. Um, so similarly, those who I think this is going to the fact that he expects Christians to be charitable. If someone's um, begging you for just a penny, give them a nickel or a dollar or give what you can share. I think that's the point of what Jesus is saying. Treat people the way you'd like to be treated. If someone's gone to the point of um, of it, of someone's at that point in life where they're so desperate, they're needing help and willing to ask for it and you have it to give. I think that's what Jesus is saying. Do it um, to do. Give to him who asks you and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. So similarly, like Jesus said, don't be stingy. Don't be selfish. Give because that's what you would expect people to do for you. That's what you would hope people would do for you. If you um, ask for something, you would hope that people who had it would be willing to give it to you. So since we reap what we sow, treat people the same way you'd like to be treated. And that's what be would be the mark of a Christian, not returning blow for blow, insult for insult. Not at all. That's the Old Testament way. That's the way of the world. That's not what Christians, that's not the standard Christians should aim for. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. So he's pointing again to the Old Testament beliefs about um, that it's okay if people do you wrong to do them wrong right back. Um, so again, Jesus is going to set a higher standard for Christians. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. So this will be a very difficult, hard thing to do um, for anyone um, when someone's hurting you. But And I think don't use this as an excuse to stay in an abusive relationship or a, uh, an abusive situation. I don't think that's what Jesus is telling you to do at all. I think what he's saying is show compassion on your enemies as far as um, knowing that since we reap what we sow, it's not we don't need to take revenge for when people harm us or do us wrong or mistreat us. God will do it. And um, if we trust God to do it, then just have that faith, sit back, wait and watch, and let God handle it rather than... Um, take it into your own hands because when you do take it in your own hands even when you may be justified in doing it you may face all sorts of other repercussions for it because um, it could be handled in a better way um, I guess one of the examples that comes to mind for me would be um, how I believe in like Jesus said for some things um, that you do you're gonna have to do prayer and fasting, that that's the only thing that will break through whatever it, obstacle it is that you're dealing with. And I can think of three different times, three different people who I've done that ritual of prayer and fasting with and three different outcomes. Uh, one was a friend whose sister was um, diagnosed with the coronavirus and the whole household had to be quarantined. And we prayed and fasted for the sister to be okay and for... Um, everyone in the household would be okay and thank god she was okay but that same person who we prayed and prayed who i prayed and fasted with 
right after that, uh, stopped talking to me altogether. And I mean, and we've been in touch since then, but it just it just goes to show how when you when you do things uh, like that, don't expect the thanks to come from that person. Do it because you know that it'll please God. Another person, a sister of uh, mine, she was praying and fasting for a. We were praying and fasting for um, her job situation and the promotion and everything. And God is good. She got it. And she um, let me know we rejoiced together. We're thankful about it. And um, so that was her response to it. And that was good. I mean, she is pretty faithful. Um, and but then another one was my brother. I prayed and fasted with him for him, his situation, the one who had, well, I call him a brother. Um, I told you about him before who had the life sentence. And we were praying and fasting about his situation that it would change because he's been there like 15, 16 years. And it seemed pretty hopeless. But we prayed and fasted over it. And then after we did, a few days later, if even that, he got news that this president uh, because his son-in-law's father was also in prison um, and he wanted to get him out. He changed the rules, changed the laws, changed the sentencing or whatever. And Jared Kushner's father was able to be released from prison. But so was my, uh, the one who I call my brother. He also got his sentence reduced and now he's free. And so he got on out. But what did he do? He went right back to calling me by my male name which he knows I don't want to be called by. So it just goes to show you when you do these things, people won't always be grateful for them. They won't even necessarily acknowledge that you did them or thank you for them. But so that when you do them, don't do them for those reasons. Do them because you know it pleases God and it's because, and do it because it's the one thing you can do that doesn't cost you any money to help someone. It doesn't cost you anything to fast and pray. Nothing at all, but some faith. So anyway, that's also lets you know that it can help. But also don't look for the repayment from them. We reap what we sow. So it may come in another form. It absolutely, I believe, will come in another form um, from above because God sees these things and he doesn't overlook them. So uh, that you may be sons of your father in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. So he's saying doing these things as far as how Jesus looks at murder, how Jesus looks at adultery, how Jesus looks at divorce, how Jesus looks at an eye for an eye, doing the things the Christian way, how Jesus laid them out is what will please God and stand out in God's eyes. And um, and will, uh, I think, set us up in a good way in God's eyes and in God's opinion, which is really what should count. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same so Jesus is saying, if you don't do these things, if you do just like everyone else does, you're nice to people who are nice to you and you're evil to people who aren't, you're not doing anything the rest of the world isn't doing. So if you're going to set yourself apart as a Christian, then you have to do the things that set you apart as a Christian and take the Christian approach to different things. And Jesus lays those out. Not Paul, not the Old Testament, Jesus. You have to follow what Jesus has to say on the subject. And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so. And I think he uses the tax collector example here because in general then and even now, tax collectors are pretty much despised and loathed. So he's saying if you're gonna if you're only saying hi to people you know and people who look like you and people you 
consider friends and ignoring other people or giving the side eye to other people or even the evil eye to other people who don't look like you. If you're being bigoty, then um, that's not Christianly. That's not what Jesus would have you do. And you're not doing anything different than the rest of the world. Um, so you have to set yourself apart by the salt in how you behave, by the light that you let shine. Therefore, you shall be perfect. Just as your father in heaven is perfect. So Jesus is saying, if you want to be perfect, if you want to um, ma be mature in God's eyes, if you want to perfect the teachings that he's giving to us to do, then this is how you're going to have to approach things. And he's not saying it's necessarily easy, but he's saying that's what's going to set you apart in God's eyes from those who call themselves holy, who call themselves Christians, who consider themselves to be righteous, but who aren't, aren't actually doing anything any different than the rest of the world. So that actually ends this reading, um, and I appreciate you checking it out with me. I hope you'll join me again. We're going to do Mark um, next, um, but I'll keep it separate from this one, like I said, for indexing sake and um, lesson sake, reading sake, so you could see separate from the other one. Thanks again. I hope it was a blessing, and I hope you'll join me again. God willing, our Matt and Mark Mondays will pick up um, on the next chapter in Matthew and in Mark. And our Jean-Luc Wednesdays will pick up where we left off in those Gospels. And God willing, next Saturday night after midnight, Sunday morning, we'll pick up where we left off in the book of Revelation. Meantime, please be safe. Take care of yourself. Wash your hands. And God bless you. Peace.